Would you pray with me? Father, we are, we are nothing without you. It's clear. You are our everything. Lord, on our own, we are lost souls. Lord, we are lost sheep. But with Jesus, Lord, we are found. Lord, he is our perfect sacrifice. He is our high priest. He is the spotless lamb. Lord, it's through him that we have forgiveness. Lord, it's through him that we are saved. It's through him that we have relationship with you. And we are so thankful. Father, we're thankful for this day that you've provided. It's a special day, not necessarily because it's a warmer day or anything like that. Just because you made it, Lord, you created it. You ordained it. You sustained it, Lord. It's, it's from you, and we're thankful for it. And we pray that as followers of yours, that we would take this day and use it, that we wouldn't waste it, Lord, that we would have an opportunity to let those around us know that we follow you, Lord. Give us courage and boldness to share, Lord, what you've done in our lives. Lord, help us to love people well, not in our words or our talk, but in our deeds and in our truth, Lord, in your truth. Lord, let them see you in us. Lord, we, we confess that um, that's not always the way we conduct our lives. We, we know that we wander, Lord, from you. We know that uh, more than wander, sometimes we purposely push you away. We confess that, and we need you, Lord. Uh, we know that when that's the case, you haven't moved, we have. So, Lord, help us to be drawn back to you and to uh, connect with you, Lord, in a, in a new and powerful way. Lord, we pray for people this week in our congregation and the folks that we know, Lord, in our family, in our workplace and neighborhood that are experiencing trial, difficulties, Lord, temptations. Lord, we, we pray for them. We, we know that we can go to you, our great high priest, who is sympathetic to all of those things, Lord. You, through your son, have faced trials and temptations and hardships, and so you know, and you can sympathize. You truly can empathize with us, and you can provide us the peace and the comfort, the direction, Lord, the guidance, the help, the strength that we need. Your right hand, your righteous right hand is there for us. And Lord, as we, as we look to the offering that will be coming around, we acknowledge that, uh, like the song said, we have nothing without you, and that includes all of the resources that you have provided us. All the good gifts that we have, Lord, are all from you, and they are all yours, and we are simply your steward. So Lord, as um, we have the opportunity to worship you today, I pray that the, the gifts that we give you our resources, Lord, would be generous. We would do it cheerfully, not reluctantly, and that you would use them in ways that would even amaze us within this church, within our community, throughout the world, Lord. You would do great things that would build your kingdom and bring you so much glory. Lord, we're so thankful, thankful for this day and thankful for your son, and we pray in his name. Amen. Well, good morning. 
My name is Jamie Jonas, and um, I'm one of the elders here at Stonebridge Church, and I'm also a part of our lead pastor search team. And if you've been around for a while, you know that our church, Stonebridge, has been going through a, uh, a transition season that, in, that really is uh, about um, the transitioning of a, a new lead pastor. About a year or more ago, Randy let us know that, uh, Pastor Randy let us know that he was looking to uh, retirement sometime in the coming months. And our search team that was assembled back in May has been diligently working to um, come to this point. And we believe that God has brought us to this point. We believe that God has brought us to the point of announcing to you, our congregation, that um, there is a lead pastor candidate that will be here um, very soon, in a couple weeks, and his name is Brandon Levering. We believe that this is the man that God has called to Stonebridge Church. And we're really excited, really, I can't tell you how excited we are, and happy to let you know of this. Um, I want you to, t I want to tell you a little bit about Brandon. Brandon is currently the lead pastor at Westgate Church in Weston, Mass Weston Massachusetts, which is a little uh, community right outside of the Boston area. Um, he has been there for seven years as the lead pastor, but he's been in ministry and pastor work for 17 years. He and his wife and his four kids are a great family. You will, you will love them, believe me. But he and Carissa are both from the Midwest. They're actually from Nebraska. And before we get any response out there, because I know some of that Nebraska may, uh, some of you may hoot and holler that that's a great thing, but others might not see it that way. I actually had a, a, a member of our congregation come up to me Saturday at, at Hy-Vee and grab my arm and say, Jamie, what's this thing about the new lead pastor coming from Nebraska? And I, I said, hang on, he's a good guy. He's really a good guy. He's a Midwesterner, first, first and foremost. Um, I want to direct you to our Stonebridge uh, website. So you'll find a lot more about Brandon and his family there. Uh, just navigate to the Stonebridge, Stonebridge website, go to the About drop-down link, and you'll see Transition and Candidate, and you can click on that, and you'll get a lot more information about Brandon and how he has responded to some of the questions that have been posed to him. He's a strong man of the word, he is all about making Jesus the central thing in our lives and in the lives of our ministry and at Stonebridge Church here. He will be a great fit for Stonebridge Church. Um, and I also want you to know that the work to get to this point has been long, and it's been thorough. Hours and hours of interviews and reviewing resumes and looking at references and doing the kinds of background things that you would do to be assured that the person that we would call to be our next lead pastor would be the right fit. And that work has all been done. And I will tell you that the search committee, which is a, a group of 12 people, our elder board, the staff, uh, the pastors, have all had an opportunity to meet him personally. A small group of us went out to Massachusetts um, before uh, the end of the year and met with he and his wife and got to observe him in his ministry and just uh, were just very impressed. And then he and Carissa were back here uh, earlier in January and had a chance to meet with leaders of our church. And unanimously across the board, all of those groups 
believe that he is the right man for Stonebridge Church. So I want you to know that there's unity at that level. The next thing that happens is that Brandon and his family come to Stonebridge for what we at Stonebridge call a candidating weekend. This is a formal candidating weekend, a very public weekend, where there will be opportunities for us to meet him, uh, for ministry leaders to meet him and to ask questions. And there will be a special time on Sunday where he will preach the two services on Sunday morning, and then there will be an open forum at 2 o'clock. All attenders of Stonebridge Church are invited to come, and we would really like to see you here, an opportunity to ask him questions and, and an opportunity just to, to observe him in how he answers those questions, right? And then at 3 o'clock, we will have a special congregational meeting, and that's a meeting for the members of the church. Everyone is certainly invited, but the members of the church will be asked to vote to call him to ministry as our next lead pastor. So it's a really important meeting. I would say probably one of the most important meetings our, churches, our church will have had in the last 25 years. So please make a point of putting that on your calendar and trying to be here. Um, you know, the journey has been kind of long here in this transition. Um, a number of years ago, Randy mentioned to elders that um, he wanted us to be aware that he at some point wanted to go into retirement. And so there has been ongoing movement in this journey, I guess, and now God has brought us to this point. But the, the thing that has been common throughout all of it has been prayer. And I know that you have been praying for this. I know that our search team and elders and leadership and the staff have been praying. Matter of fact, a woman at the end of last service came up and said that her group that meets on Tuesday mornings have been praying diligently for this. And I want you to know that um, our search committee and our leadership has really felt that prayer. And it's been really so clear that God has been guiding us and giving us direction and giving us the wisdom that we need. And um, so thank you so much for that. I'm going to have Jolene Glanzer come up, who's been a really important part of our search team. And just continue us in prayer as we are nearing, uh, as one person put it, landing this plane that we've been on for a while. And we need prayer and wisdom and discernment to continue on in that. So, Jolene, would you pray? Uh, not only is Brandon from uh, Big Red Country, he has a golden doodle, so he's a slam dunk for me. <laughs> Shall we pray? Almighty God. Sovereign Lord, our Father, you established this church family back in 1958, and we as a family have been serving you with your help ever since. When my husband Don and I initially walked into this church, it was in June of 1975. Pastor Robert Warren was the minister at that time. And he walked with us as a minister and taught us how to live Psalm 139. Then you sent Pastor Bruce Stucca to us. And under his ministry, we learned how to love mercy, act justly, and walk humbly with you. Then you sent us Pastor Randy Shile. And one of the first things that Randy had to deal with was the diagnosis of leukemia in one of our Sunday school children, Beth Weglertz. 
And he walked us as a church family and with the little children through Beth's treatment and her eventual death. That was a very difficult time for us, Father, but Pastor Randy was equal to the task, and he helped us through that. You sent us Pastor Robin then, and Pastor Robin has taught us how to hone down our faith stories so that we can really interact with people and show them that Jesus does come and take us by our hand and leads us. And then, Father, you sent us Pastor Phil, who helped us worship in song. And even as his time initially with us was a little difficult because he got stuck here over 9-11 and had to stay here for quite a while, uh, you have blessed his ministry. You sent us Pastor Jason then, Father, who uh, established our biblical counseling ministry. And he initially started out as being rather uncertain in the pulpit, but we watched him grow over 10 years, and now he is a senior pastor or a lead pastor in his own church. You sent us Pastor Keith, Father, who has helped us with the youth ministry and has the youth ministering and being tutors of other children. And I thank you for that. And then, Father, you are sending us Pastor Brandon Levering and his family. I thank you, Father, for sending him to us. And I pray, Father, that that in our in that you would help us as we uh, listen to him in a couple of weeks and interact with him, that you would give us wisdom and unity in terms of accepting him as our new pastor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you join me in, in a hand of appreciation for all the work of the search committee? Thank you so much. That's been a, we've been praying about this for over a year, and the search committee has put in so much time. We really appreciate that. Uh, I've known Brandon for several years. We do a uh, pastor's workshop in Des Moines every November, and uh, Brandon has been one of the instructors there, uh, teaching pastors how to study the Bible and to preach. And uh, I am thrilled. I am thrilled that as the process went on for the search committee that he rose to the top uh, he and his wife and kids are, are wonderful people, and uh, I am really excited about him coming. Uh, and I want to thank you as a congregation for your prayer and your patience with the process. Thank you for that. And continue to pray and get ready as we get ready to call our next lead pastor. Uh, <clears throat> somebody asked what I'm going to be doing, and, uh, you know, as a pastor, you, you never retire from ministry. But I am looking forward to more time with my grandchildren. I hope they're also looking forward to time with Grandpa. And uh, I've had a couple of Christian ministries reach out to me and ask if I'd be willing to work with them part-time. So there'll be a, a lot of exciting things. And we're staying in the community. We want to serve here and uh, want to do all we can to support Stonebridge uh, in the future. So thank you. Um, you know, seven, is seven a lucky number? February 7 is, uh, let's see, Thursday. And we have a couple here who are celebrating their 77th wedding anniversary on February 7. I see him right, sitting right here, Joe and Evelyn Anholt. Uh, I, can you just wave so everybody sees? 77 years. Wow. 
They were married in 1942. So congratulations. Hope you have a wonderful week. Have you ever heard the name Hetty Green? I wouldn't expect you to. She died in 1919, so that's 100 years ago. When she died, people were shocked to hear that she had a net worth of $100 million. That's in 1919. I don't know what that would be today, in the billions. $100 million. But one reason people were so shocked is because she lived as if she were in poverty. She uh, ate oatmeal at most of her meals to save money. When her son had uh, problems with health problems, she delayed so long, but by the time she got to the hospital with him, he had to have his leg amputated. She lived in poverty. Now, I bring that up because it, it boggles our mind to think that someone could have that much money and yet live in poverty. It'd be like you or me winning the lottery. I think somebody could win $100 million in the lottery today. And you take the money and you put it in the bank and then you go apply for food stamps the next day. I mean, just, pfft, why in the world would you do that? It just boggles your mind. Here's why I bring that up. So many of us, as followers of Jesus Christ, live as if we're spiritually in poverty. We have no idea how often we live as practical atheists. We have been blessed in ways that we can't even imagine. We have spiritual wealth that boggles the mind, and yet we worry whether we're going to have enough money to make it through the month. We worry about the things that are happening in our world and the darkness that's settling in. We panic over the smallest of things. It's kind of our human nature to do this. But let's face it, just like Hetty Green lived as a pauper, we're so often living as spiritual paupers. Back in the first century, there was the Apostle Paul, and he had planted a church in Ephesus, and later he wrote a letter, the letter to the Ephesians, where he addressed this problem of being spiritually impoverished. In Acts chapter 19 and 20, you may remember the story. He went into Ephesus. This was a very prosperous city on the western coast of Turkey. It was, at that time, a coastal city with a lot of money coming in through shipping trade. In addition, they worshipped the goddess Artemis, or Diana, and a lot of the trades in the community were based upon the worship of Diana in making silver coins and trinkets that people would buy as a part of their temple worship. Paul came into the city on his second missionary journey and then later on his third missionary journey and began to teach them about another God, Jesus Christ. People 
converted. They repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus. And as a result, it impacted the local commercial profits. People stopped going to the temple of Diana. They stopped buying the trinkets. And Demetrius got upset, one of the silversmiths of the day, and he caused a riot to break out against the Apostle Paul. But amazing things happened in that city. People came to know Jesus. Demons were exercised from people. Um, People were taught the Bible. The Apostle Paul taught three years in the school of Tyrannus. And as a result, people who learned from him went out to the cities surrounding it. And that's where we get the seven churches of of the book of Revelation. The ministry of the word went out. Now, years later, it's 62 AD, and Paul is in prison, and he's worried about the Ephesians. He's worried about the church. He's heard reports, and what did he hear? Well, we we get a clue from reading the letter to 1 Timothy, where uh, Paul says to Timothy, now when you're teaching the Bible to the people in Ephesus, be sure to teach them about love, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And then we read Revelation chapter 2, where Jesus comes to the church at Ephesus and says to them, you do really well at teaching doctrine, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. You see this in the letter to the Ephesians. Paul brings this up in chapter 1, and at the end, in chapter 6, he brings up this, this need for love. What has happened? Well, people have forgotten who God is, so they're not loving Him as He deserves to be loved, and they've forgotten how to love each other. And so Paul writes this letter, and he writes it in two parts. In chapters 1 to 3, Paul talks about, uh, think about all the wealth you have in Jesus, all that He has given you, all the wealth that the triune God has given us for, that that's, meets every need we have, spiritually speaking. And then in chapters 4 to 6, he says, now, in light of all God has given us, this is how we ought to be living. So in chapters 1 through 3, it's doctrine. Chapter 4 through 6, or chapter 4 through 6 it's our duty. Chapter 1 through 3 is our position in Christ. We're rich, spiritually speaking. And in chapter 4 through 6, it's uh, our posture, how we love others in light of the way things God has done for us. It's a beautiful book. Now, I was thinking about how to, how to summarize the book. I was thinking, there is a great show on Masterpiece Theater on Sunday nights. It's called Victoria. How many of you have seen this show? Queen Victoria. Am I the only one that watches it? Okay, a few of <laughs> It's based upon historical facts about Queen Victoria, who reigned from 1837, and I think she, she reigned until she died in the early 1900s. The story tells us that when she was growing up, she did not know that she would someday become queen. Her her parents kept it from her. But when her father died, all of a sudden she was thrust into the role of being the queen of England. Can you imagine that? And you know what she said? She said, well, if I'm going to be queen, then I'm going to be a good queen. Now what is she saying? All of a sudden, I'm realizing my position 
And now I realize how I need to live out who I am. There's another great series. I know it's on Netflix. I don't know if it's on Masterpiece Theater, but it's called The Crown, and it's about Queen Elizabeth. How many of you have seen this, Queen Elizabeth? Three or four, okay. But it's also based upon historical fact about our current queen. She became queen in 1962 when her dad died, and now that the story tells about the way she relates, uh, under the weight of her reign, she knows that she's in the place of being anointed by God to be the queen, and she has to make decisions based upon the well-being of the people. You see that she's taking into effect her position as queen and then how she lives in light of her position. Now, not many of us will become royals, but this is what Paul is trying to tell us. There is a whole world that opens up for us as people who follow Jesus that reminds us of our position in Christ and then how we live in light of that so that God can be praised. Now, what I'd like to do is walk through Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. You might want to be turning there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully you have one on your app on your phone or iPad or tablet. Or you can pull a Bible out of the rack, and it's near the end of the Bible, the letter to the Ephesians, and uh, we're going to just talk that through. Let me give you a couple of things that we're going to learn as we walk through this. After the greeting in verses 1 to 2, we're going to see one long sentence in the original language, and there are words that are repeated. You'll see them over and over. In Christ is mentioned nine or ten times in those 14 verses. We're going to see um, big words like predestination and election, choosing and redemption. And and so we need to just pause and try to figure these words out and contemplate what they mean. We're also going to see that the work of God, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are all working together for our salvation. We're going to see that the God the Father has a role to play, God the Son and God the Spirit, and they're all working together in harmony as a family, one God, three persons, to bring on this spiritual blessing that we enjoy. And we're going to see that the passage breaks up into three ways because at the end of each section it'll say, God does this for the praise of His glorious grace. So, The main idea that we're going to get, and I hope you're turning there now to Ephesians chapter 1, what we're going to see is the main idea here is to praise God. Paul wants us to praise God for His amazing grace and assurance given to us in Christ Jesus. This is a passage that will help spiritual paupers like you and me. So let's just pray that God would have His way with us, shall we? Father, you are such a great God, and forgive us for forgetting who you are and all that you've given us in Christ. Open our eyes that we might see wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at the encouragement, first of all, in Ephesians 1, 1, and 2. Paul begins, he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle means a sent one. 
And he says, uh, I'm an apostle by the will of God. He says, I have authority because God gave it to me. God initiated Paul's conversion. You remember the story in Acts chapter 9, he was on his way to kill Christians in Damascus. God struck him down, not only revealed Jesus to him, but also called him to be an apostle, one who was sent to tell the story of Jesus. He said, it's by the will of God. And he's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus. Uh, Some of us may have come from backgrounds where saints mean something else, but the Bible word saint means one who is set apart for God's purposes. He's talking about believers here. He's saying, you that have been born again by the Spirit of God and through the work of Christ to know the Father uh, are saints. You've been set apart. And he says, I'm writing to you and, and extending to you grace, which is a key word in the book of Ephesians, and it just means God's undeserved love for us, given to us without merit. Grace and peace He's talking about that we have peace with God. We have this shalom of life because of the work of Jesus Christ. This is very encouraging start to the letter. And then in verses 3 through 14, he gets into this long Greek sentence where he's telling us that we should be praising God for the riches of His grace. His grace extended to human beings, which He planned out from eternity past. First of all, he begins with the work of God the Father. He says we should praise God the Father for His work in choosing us. Look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father for His spiritual blessings. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, note, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He says, who's the source of these blessings? It's our triune God. What's the scope? Every spiritual blessing we need has been given to us. What's the sphere? In the heavenlies. You know, one of the things we do is try to make our finances secure. We put our money in the bank. Banks can be robbed. We put our money in the stock market. We put our money in a house. And then a catastrophic flood hits the community. But here we're learning that our wealth, from a spiritual standpoint, is in the heavenlies. We have a supernatural source that's immense in scope, secure, in the heavenlies. What a great thing. And then he gets specific. He says, let me tell you about this wealth. It begins with God the Father's work in eternity past in choosing us for salvation. See, where does it say that? Well, look at verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him, there is that word again, in Christ, in Him, Before the foundation of the world, that is, before the creation of our planet. And then there's a purpose, he gives us, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So God chose us for a purpose, and that is that we would be holy, set apart for him, and blameless, 
So when God looks at us, He sees Jesus. Rather than seeing our warts and sins and failures, He sees the blood of Jesus surrounding us before Him in love. That word in love could go with the holy and blameless or it could go with the next verse. Either way, it makes sense that God did this because of His love for us. But it goes on to say in the next verse, in love, He predestined us. Predestined just means to decide beforehand. I like to use the word foreloved. God loved us before the foundation of the earth and chose us to enjoy His salvation. In fact, he goes on to say we're adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ. And this is according to His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He's blessed us in the Beloved, and the Beloved is Jesus again. So this word predestined hangs people up, but it just means to mark out beforehand for God's purposes. And what is His purpose? To adopt us as His children. I've met people who grew up not even knowing their parents. They may have grown up as orphans in an orphanage. What would it be like to be a child in an orphanage wondering about your parents? And then the day comes and this couple shows up and they're looking through the window. Pretty soon one of the staff comes out, pulls you out of the room, and here this man and woman want you to become a part of their family to adopt you. Imagine the smile on that child's face to know that he's coming into this family. In Bible days, if you were adopted into a family, you received not only a new family, but all the rights, the full rights as children. And this is what Paul is saying to us because of the incredible love and undeserved grace that God shows us. He, before the world's foundation, called us into His family. He brought us in and adopted us and made us a part of His family for His purposes. Now, this can be a little challenge to our pride because a lot of times we think, well, the way God chose me is He kind of looked at me and He thought, he's a pretty good guy, I think I'll just call him in. And that's not the way it is, is it? Because it, it happened before the world was even created. Sometimes we think, well, God couldn't love me because I'm so unlovable. But again, God did not choose us based upon our own merit. There is nothing about us. It's simply that He decided to choose us in His great love. This boggles the mind. He didn't choose us because we were so needy, although we are spiritually needy. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, He will tell us in chapter 2, verse 1. But He didn't choose us on that basis. Why did God choose us? He chose us for the praise of His glorious grace. He chose to include us in His family and to love us because it would make Himself look good. That's quite a blow to human pride to know that we have a God like that. But it's also a relief 
to know that God loves me. No matter how good I am, no matter how rotten it is, it isn't based upon any of my own merit. It's because of his love. He chose to love me. And that's not all. He says, and don't forget about the work of the Son. We have God the Father who chooses us for His purposes, but secondly, we should praise God, the Son, for His work in redeeming us. The word redeemed or redemption just means buying someone off the slave box. It, it, it refers to the time when Israel was in slavery in Egypt, and God paid a price to set the people free. What was the price? Well, we have to kill a lamb, and we need to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. The angel of death flew over, spared the lives of the Israelites, killed the firstborn of Israel, of, of Egypt. But God paid a price to set the people of Israel free in order to go into the wilderness toward the promised land. This same redemption is applied to us as Christians. What is the price that was paid to free us from slavery to sin, the devil, and death? The price that was paid, well, let's read it and see. Verse 7, in Him, there it is again, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's referring to the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. He became our substitute. He was the lamb of those Passover days in the Old Testament whose blood was shed for us. He became our substitute. His sacrifice for us redeemed us, paid off the price that was needed to free us from our sins. And he says, this brings the forgiveness of our trespasses. Because of the blood of Jesus, we are forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future. Why? Well, this is according to the riches of His grace. He just chose to love us this way. And He lavished it upon us, it says in verse 8. And then get this, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. He not only wanted to give us this wonderful gift, He wanted to, uh, us to understand the gift. And so He gave us insight and wisdom into understanding it. Next week we'll learn how Paul prays that they would get it. He set forth this purpose in Christ, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. What he's saying there is that God's plan is to take Christ through his death and resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of God. At some point, all of heaven and all of earth will bow before Jesus. This is happening already in part because Jesus is already king. But someday, all the cosmos will bow before him. And it, this gets into the supernatural forces of darkness because in Ephesians 6, we're going to see that... Uh, Paul says, we, we've got spiritual enemies that fight against us. But we don't need to fear them because we have a God who is uniting all things under the Son, the King. 
These are all a part of the spiritual position we have in Jesus as a result of these spiritual blessings. He goes on in verse 11 and says, In Him, that is in Jesus again, we've obtained an inheritance, having predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And why does He do it? So that we who are the first to hope in Christ, he's referring to Jewish Christians here, we Jewish Christians who were the first to hope in Christ, Paul said in Romans 1.16, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. So Jesus redeemed us out of the bondage of slavery. He forgave our sins. He lavished His love on us. He's opening our eyes to His wisdom and insight. We're seeing we're under His reign, and it's all according to His plan. And he did this for the praise of his glorious grace. He didn't do it because we were so needy. He didn't do it because we deserved it. He just chose to do it in his amazing plan. This is powerful stuff. I've met so many people that have uh, been in trouble through the years, whether it be an addiction or some sadness or difficulty, relationship, people in bondage who did not know Jesus. And I've seen them come to know Jesus, their eyes opened, repenting of their sins, trusting in Jesus. I've seen Jesus set them free from addictions. I've seen Him take hardened husbands and wives and break down the barrier between them, extending forgiveness and reconciliation. I've seen families knit back together. The things that God is able to do because of the death and resurrection of Christ are just amazing. And to think that He does it, not because we deserve it or because He feels sorry for us, but He wants the whole universe to know how great He is. He does all things for the praise of His glorious grace. Now, somebody's thinking this, I know. They're going, well, wait a minute. The way you paint this picture, Randy, is that God is some kind of egomaniac. <laughs> and not only that, that God just kind of forces His way in and drags us kicking and screaming from some time eternity past and just yanks us out of darkness and takes us into His light even when we don't want to go. We don't have a choice here. Is that what you're saying? Well, for that, we need to come to verses 13 and 14. Let's see what the Bible says. Praise God for the Spirit, for His work of sealing us for an inheritance. Look at verse 13. In Him you also. Now, i got to pause there because he had just said, we who are the first to hope in Christ, speaking of the Jewish Christians, now he's saying you also speaking of those who were not Jewish people in the church, the Gentile Christians. This shows the multi-ethnic, multilingual work of Jesus Christ, of including people of all different stripes into his family. What does he say? You also, when you heard the word of truth. Now, let me just stop right there. If somebody came to you and said, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, and you said, nah, I don't want to hear it. Hearing 
is a human response. So you see this beautiful balance between God's sovereign initiative, but also human responsibility to hear. But it's not only hearing. Look what he says. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in Him. He'll go on in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 to say, for by grace are you saved through faith. Faith is both a gift and a human response to the words of the gospel. It's not because you're so great, he says, so you can boast. It's all a gift from God. So here we find the sovereign initiative of God working out His plan through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but in that work, our response is needed to hear it, to believe it, to repent of our sins and trust in Jesus. You see how that works? It's a beautiful picture. And what happens as a result? He says, well, when you believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed with the Spirit. To put a seal on something is to mark it, to show ownership. You know, they put a Roman seal on the grave of Jesus. This is an authentic work of the Roman government. We're putting that seal, sealing Jesus' tomb to show you better not try to break into it. A seal means authenticity. A seal can mean ownership. A seal means that it's marked. And he's saying that when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, we are marked. We have a completely new identity. And he'll unpack that in chapters 4 to 6. A whole new identity that comes because of the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit, who, according to verse 14, is a guarantee, an earnest, a down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So he's saying when the Holy Spirit comes into us, we are not only marked, but we have a foretaste of what heaven will be like. We have a taste of what it means to live in the life of God now that will come into fruition in His eternal kingdom. This is a beautiful thing. I grew up in the Reformed Church, and we used a catechism called the Heidelberg Catechism. And uh, we were uh, asked to memorize parts of it, and I still remember the question, first question and answer. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer, I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And it goes on to unpack the meaning of all these spiritual blessings. This is a wonderful answer to our fretting and worrying and concern about life around us that our God seals us in His Holy Spirit and assures us that we belong to Him. That we don't have to fret. We can have a fearless faith because we know that the world, as dark as it might be, is governed by a superior force. This is a beautiful thing. You know that word earnest or down payment in contemporary Greece is the word for an engagement ring. 
a young man says to a woman, will you marry me? And then he gets down on his knees and he says, look, 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 I want to prove my love for you. I'm giving you this ring. And this ring is symbolizing I'm going to carry through and I'm going to marry you, woman. I'm going to marry you and I'm going to be committed to you throughout your life. See, that's an engagement ring. That word guarantee is God, the Holy Spirit in us, like an engagement ring, saying I'm going to help you enjoy today what you will enjoy in its fullness in the future. That's why we don't live for the dash between two numbers and a tombstone. We live the fullest in that little dash for the long line of eternity that comes after it. Well, what does this mean for us? Well, let me have you think about three things. First of all, consider. Do you really understand the riches of the undeserved love of God for you? Do you understand it? Maybe this week you should review it. Maybe today. Just read through this. Sometimes, you know, let's admit it, we feel lazy. We come to a word like predestination. We go, oh, that's too hard to think about. I'm not going to think. No, 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 no. The more you unpack these words in Scripture and see the meaning behind it, the more wealth you find. I plead with you, use your thinking cap. Give yourself to studying the Scriptures to revel in what you've been blessed with. Secondly, embrace it. You see, the question is, we have all this beautiful stuff, but do you believe it? Are you assured of your salvation? Do you know that you're adopted, that God has chosen you? This might be a good thing to talk about with your life group. How would you know if you're really adopted by God into His family? What are the signs of a truly regenerate, made alive in Christ kind of life? It would be a great topic of discussion. Are you trusting in yourself? Are you saying, well, I, up to this point, I thought that God just chose me because I'm a good person. Uh, no, you've got to embrace another idea. It's not because of how good you are or how bad you are. That's not why God did it. He did it to show how great He is. Embrace it. And third, are you willing to live it? Are you actively involved in offering praise to God in your everyday life? This could be listening to Christian music on your way to work and just praising God. It could be as you walk into your work or your school thinking, Lord, is there someone I can share with today and just tell how great you are? Just let it overflow out of my life and just, you know, in normal conversation with somebody, just bring it up because I, I just appreciate what you've done for me, Lord. I'm your child. I'm a child of the King, the one who runs the cosmos. I want to tell you, this truth from Ephesians 1 can help us to have peace. It can help us to have a greater appreciation of God's love for us. It can open our heart. I've seen people move from duty to delight when it comes to being a Christian because of knowing Jesus. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 21. He said, the one who has my commandments and obeys them, well, they're showing they love me. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. 
You see, God looks at us. He doesn't see the sins and failures. He sees His Son when He looks at us who know Jesus as our Savior. And I will love Him, He says, and disclose myself to Him. Meaning that the more we walk with Jesus, the more we get to know Him as a personal friend and Savior. Do you have an intimate, joyful relationship with Jesus? That's the question. You can have it based upon the truth of God's Word. Yesterday, we remembered a lady who would sit in this service way back on the right, your left, Arlene Dolan. Arlene went through some trying times, lost her husband, and then had trouble with cancer and respiratory problems. And every week I'd see Arlene, and she would be the most joyful person, highlighting the joy of Jesus Christ, and it was not fake. This woman, to the core of her being, loved Jesus, and it flowed out of her. And when I thought of Arlene yesterday, as we celebrated her life, I thought, God did that in Arlene, the praise of His glorious grace, to show how great He is. And I thought, oh God, do that to me. I don't want to be known as a crotchety old man. Sometimes I am that to my wife. I want to be a man who basks in the goodness of God. Don't you? Does anyone want to say amen to that? To God be the glory. Great things He has done. Let's stand and pray together, shall we? Father, what a great God you are. We just want to praise you and thank you. Forgive us, Lord, for living as spiritual paupers, for being in poverty when we have so much. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing because of the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Help us to live it, Lord, to praise you with every breath. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.